everybody. Welcome to Genie Babies. If your wish is more Arabian Nights, Overdue's got you covered. My name's Craig. My name's Andrew, and I'm a baby. And We're I'm a genie, <laughs> so it works out. Dang, nice. Um, what wishes do you want me to grant? You well, three of I them. want a new diaper, <laughs> and I want a new some new blocks to stack. Uh-huh. Henry's been stacking blocks lately. Delightful. And a million more wishes. Well, mm-hmm. you didn't say I couldn't. Oh, crap. Here you go. I'm going to bury you in a bunch of coins that say wish on them. <laughs> you didn't make me sign an end user license agreement before I started making wishes, yeah, so I can do whatever I want. That's true. Uh, I didn't yep. get your data. Um, welcome to our long read project where we are reading... Uh, the Arabian Nights, Thousand and One Nights, um, the translation by Hussein Hadawi, based on a text by Moose and Mahdi. Uh, Andrew, we've been reading this one for a few months now. Um, how do you yeah, feel? Yeah, we haven't been the genie babies in a while. Yes, it's true. We took, we took a little break from being babies. We're ca- we're getting we're getting caught up on our babyhood here. Mm-hmm. This is the fifth of six planned episodes on the stories, and then we're going to do a seventh like wrap up episode because we did not read we skipped ahead so yeah we skipped we skipped some nights where were we last what night were what happened ish we were i feel like it night wise we were creeping toward the 100 mark i have on my list and it was like oh yeah yeah 60 the, the end of the 69th night is what it was nice. yeah. oh that was nice and then uh and we finished the story of the girl with a cake like a neck like a cake for a king <laughs> and her like dog sisters and everybody was happy and got married at the end i think yeah i it think was, it was a, there was a demon or something i don't really remember it's not important that we remember because the <laughs> we are leaving these stories behind That's and we true. are talking about the story of a a very unfortunate hunchback and the many people who tried to avoid responsibility for killing. <laughs> that is correct. So we are jumping ahead to, uh, in our edition, the 102nd night, uh, the story of the hunchback. We This will be a two-part episode uh, or a two-part story. And... We are skipping the two visures, which is a, a longer story that we will summarize uh, in episode seven of Genie Babies. But I've had my fill of visures at this <laughs> point. I don't, I don't need two more of them. This was a refreshing, like, what's happening? Where are we? What is going on? This one feels so. The frame narrative, as we've set up in every episode, but we can recap here, is that uh, Shahrazad the a uh, vizier's daughter in this kingdom has married the king but the thing with the king is that he kills every woman he marries after he sleeps with them for one night because of uh some adultery that he suffered once <laughs> one time and so he's killed many 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 women but she's going to break the cycle and she's going to do it by telling him Different entertaining stories and leaving off at a to-be-continued every night, so he always wants to know what the next story is, and he never is able to kill her. And that's what the what the Thousand One Nights is. Now, I am going to say, I do feel like at this point in the cycle, Scheherazade is maybe calling it in a tiny bit. She's maybe taking a little bit of a break. She used a lot of her A material early on. She did not think it was going to take this long, and now we are... 
stuck in a bunch of stories where guys tell stories about other guys with like parts of their hands missing. Yes. This for is various reasons. Yeah. There's buckle a lot of repetition up. in this one. Yeah. Buckle up because after we get through the initial part on the hunchback himself, which is very, very good. Um, we will then get into sequential stories where men have their hands chopped off for various reasons. Um, and and I guess what I was surprised by, and is maybe maybe she's just hoping that the that her king just doesn't know these stories. Like maybe these are stories in a book she read, and she's just like, listen, I'm just gonna dip into this material that I don't use too often, and hope he hasn't heard it before, because uh, it's set in China, which uh-huh. is a departure for these stories so far. Mm-hmm. Um. It is only important that it's set in China because they are talking to the king of China, but they might as well be talking to any of the sort of capricious like <laughs> lords. Yes. Loves loves story slightly more than they love executing people. Uh-huh. Sort of archetype. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh Tommy, you've heard that one before. So mm-hmm. this is what? The story of the hunchback. Um it is related to a king that there lived in China, a tailor who had a pretty compatible and loyal wife. And Great. Sounds like a good start to a story. Yeah, yeah, me too. And they go out for a stroll and at, at a place of entertainment and they meet a jolly hunchback who's like drunk and dancing around. Uh, he's in China, but he's wearing clothes in the Egyptian style. And he's Ooh, banging you know on how a- those Egyptians are. This whole thing has the air. Like we start to talk about like the Muslim and the Jew and mm. the Christian. Like a joke. And it yes. does it does have the setup of like a rabbi and a something and whatever walk into a bar. Like something that's like vaguely stereotypical and offensive, but I don't understand enough of the uh cultural context to know if like the Muslim and the Jew are like stock characters in the Thousand and One Nights yeah, tales. Yeah, it's very strange. I was reading a little bit on like the blend of religions being way more typical of the medieval Middle East because at this time in China it was likely a lot of Buddhism and Confucianism. Um, but yeah, it does have a set. We got to get there though. So this tailor meets this jolly hunchback who's dancing and singing and banging on a tambourine. And he's like, hey, this guy's pretty fun. Let's, hey, wife, let's invite him back to our house, which already yeah. has a vibe to it. Yeah, <laughs> like, let's invite him back to our house so we can swing with him, is the unspoken context. That's what I, that's what I took from it. Um, and so they do that, and they're eating, and the guy makes the hunchback eat some fish, and the fish has bones in it, and the hunchback chokes on the fish, and he dies. Yeah, yes. He shoves so a the fish. tail of the hunchback. The hunchback is actually like there is a weekend at Bernie's element that we're about to get into, but <laughs> he is not actually around for much of it. <laughs> so he shoves the fish in the hunchback's mouth and he goes, you will eat this. And he's not doing it. It is not written that he is being malicious. It is he thinks this is good fun, which in itself, I guess, is malicious in its own way. Um, but... Then he and his wife are like, well, what do we do next? And he says, oh, no, is his wife come up with the idea that this is our sick boy and we will take him to the doctor? 
Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna bundle him. Okay, they gotta hide the body. You can't you, you can't get caught in this town with a dead hunchback. You never you don't know what the law will do oh to my you. God. So they gotta get this guy out, and so they decide that yes, they are going to bundle him up, and they're going to carry him to a Jewish doctor's house, and they're gonna ding dong ditch the hunchback and make the doctor think that he killed the hunchback, <laughs> and the way they. <laughs> So they're walking through the street with this bundle yelling at the top of their lungs about what a sick boy they have, (laughs) which seems like a weak point in the plan to me, but it apparently works. Everybody looks at them and they're like, wow, those, those people have a really sick child that they've bundled up in a, in a spare rug and they're just carrying through the streets. Must be smallpox. Let's not go near them. Oh no. And what they put him in the, they, they go to the doctor's house. There's a servant there that they're like go upstairs tell the doctor we're here and they put they put the the body prop him up yeah um like at the bottom of the stairs or at the top of the stairs at the top of the stairs yeah he ends up at the top of the stairs and he's propped up and the and the doctor comes because he's been paid some small amount up front he's like "Ooh, ooh la la this is some money which I'm excited that, about. I this. don't like how that that feels gross too. But yeah, yes. I mean, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I'm gonna go downstairs. And I'm gonna fix this sick kid. And in the dark at the top of the stairs, he sort of bumps into the hunchback, and he, the hunchback tumbles down the stairs. I think they tumble down together, right? Yes, they do. And the hunchback is still dead at the bottom of the stairs. But the doctor is like, "Oh no, I have killed the hunchback now." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then he says, uh, uh, oh, his wife says to him, always the wives coming up with these ideas. Uh, Why do you sit still? Rise at once and let us carry the body to the roof and throw it into the house of our neighbor, the Muslim bachelor. What is happening? (laughs) You can kind of hear the Tim Burton music playing while this whole thing is unfolding. And so they they like lower him through and this is this is a steward who works in the king's kitchen. They like drop him into this guy's house. Uh apparently this guy has been dealing with food gone missing due to like rodents and pests. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They prop him up inside the guy's house and when the guy comes home, he thinks, "Oh, this is the guy who's been stealing all my food." And there he's standing in the corner of my house. I'm just going to beat the crap out of him. And then he thinks he killed him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. And now the Muslim needs to get rid of the body of the dead hunchback. Yep. Where does he do with him, Andrew? Well, he's... I forget the exact circumstances under which they meet the like Christian in the street. But they run into this Christian whose turban had been swiped. Who had had a turban swiped earlier in the day. I guess he has a new turban now, and now he assumes he's found the turban thief here again to steal his turban once again. And so he attacks the hunchback, punches him, and he's dead. And he's like, oh, no, I can't believe I've killed the hunchback with a single punch. That's a little weird. <laughs> but since that this one is done more publicly, the, uh, the he is like apprehended and he is about to be hanged for his crime of killing the hunchback. Yes. And then what happens? 
So, okay, yeah. So the the Muslim left him in the sh- in the market, and then the and then the Christian guy punched him and killed him, and then the cops took the Christian guy, and then they're all at the hanging square, and uh, people start coming forward and saying, "No, I'm the one who killed him. I I cannot let this man die for what I have done." And this progresses like so on and so forth through each character of the story coming forward and being like, no, 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 I am Spartacus. I am the one who has killed this hunchback. And I guess I'm wondering, like, why did they not? I, they must not have thought through the consequences of their actions because each of them has successfully accomplished what they set out to do, which is to get away with. What they thought murder. was a murder. What they thought was a murder. And so they all are about to successfully get away with it. And then they step forward and confess, which I guess makes me wonder why they wouldn't have confessed in the first place. But I guess when you get right up to the moment of seeing someone else die for something you know you did, that might change your calculus a little bit. Yeah, yeah. For dramatic effect, these people do feel like they need to come clean. And of course, so they're all there in the public square. The executioner is getting mad as he's changing people. He goes, I am tired of stringing up this man and releasing that without any result. Mm-hmm. And he gets ready to kill the tailor. And, uh, of course, the hunchback was the favorite clown of the king of China who could not bear to be without him for the batting of an eye so that when the hunchback got drunk and failed to make his appearance that night, <laughs> and we go to the next night, um, so now we learn that the king has been hunting to find his beloved entertainer and what he goes to the chief of police and he calls them all before him and he's and, yeah and he's trying to find what happened what happened to my hunchback and he is told of the you know that the cops found a dead hunchback and then there is a long string of events that led to a bunch of people sort of Spartacusing. And admitting that they killed the hunchback. So the king of China hauls all of them in front of him. And uh he is and and as sometimes happens, he is he is threatening to kill them all. And then uh one of them steps forward and well he what what does he say? Is, is it the king who says, Have you ever heard anything more amazing than the adventure of the hunchback? Yes, that is the king who So the king loves this story in the first place. <laughs> and he's like, Man, what a good story. Have you ever heard one better than that? And then the Christian steps forward and he's like, Hey, I got one. You're not gonna believe this. Okay. Go for it, Christian. Yeah, and then the story continues. So What a setup, huh? I- I'm going to and and so the the way that the the page breaks worked in my edition I did get to the end of these three we're going to hear three stories one from each of them and there might be a fourth there might be a fourth guy I'm not I'm I don't I don't know how this is going to go afterwards yeah Yeah but um yeah so I don't know like when the last guy is like that's my story have you was that that one was better right I don't know what the king said so it'll be a surprise for part 2 yeah, we'll have to find because out. We're going to really Scheherazade this these, thing. At the end of each of these stories, for reasons that will become obvious, the king is like, no, that's not as good as the story <laughs> of the hunchback. <laughs> so, In fact, until one of you tells me a story that's better than the story of the hunchback, I am going to kill all I'm of you. I'm definitely going to kill all of you. Um, 
And so the first story we get is the Christian broker's tale, the young man with the severed hand and the girl. Cool. Checks out. Mm-hmm. And this starts with a uh, a Coptic Christian broker in Cairo taking over his dad's business, like you do, you know. Of course, yeah. Um, you're you're selling stuff, and then or you're you're not just selling; you're taking stuff and then you're selling it. That's what that's what brokering is, right, Andrew? Yeah. There's some money stuff in these stories that I don't know. <laughs> I fully understand. Sure. Um, but a, a very handsome, fairly finely dressed man shows up. Um, and he is like, "Hey, I got all this sesame. Can I can I have you sell it for me? I'm gonna like give you a bunch of sesame seeds, mm-hmm. sesame plants. I don't know. I'm gonna give you sesame. I think and you will I, I would sell go it to for me seeds. Yeah, or you, you could go sesame oil. I don't know. Yeah, all kinds of sesame stuff. And uh, he gives him a whole bunch of stuff, and it's like five thousand. It's a lot of Durham's. It's a lot of Bull Durham's. It's a lot of money that he's going to make. <laughs> okay. And he says, uh, he's like, we, what? He gives him the stuff and then he leaves. And he's like, I'm going to come back and get the money later. And he's gone for like a month. Mm-hmm. And then when he comes back, he doesn't take the money. He just like gives him more stuff to sell. And it's like, I'll be back later. Yeah. And the broker's like, man, next time he comes here, I'm going to like invite him to dinner or something because he's being really nice to me and let me make all this money. Mm-hmm. And the guy's like, well, yes, I'll stay for dinner if you only spend my own money on me. Please do not spend <laughs> any of your own money. Let's mm-hmm. have a great meal. And here's the rub, Andrew. They eat together. It's very nice. The man is handsome and respectable, except he's eating with his left hand, uh-huh. which is taboo. That's is not bad. a thing that you do. You're not supposed to do it. Yeah. I mean, you've run it. I don't let you eat with your left hand in front of me. Yeah, it's very strange. Well, because I'll... Okay. That's for different reasons of the story. Yeah. <laughs> Why is it important in the story, Andrew? It's important in the story because he doesn't have a right hand to well, eat Well, but yes. the cult, Also, culturally, most... They're not... They're eating things that are not often... Like, they're not necessarily using utensils. It's like bread and, like stews and things and then you're using your bathroom hand on the food oh, that, that people the, is that the deal i thought the left hand was just the evil hand no there's a i have a uh, a footnote here that says considered a lapse in manners since the left hand is used for toilet hygiene ah yes okay 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 that does make sense i did not read that footnote yes and i'm glad that you did so he so that's gonna become important in in another story also another handed story as well um so how did this man lose his hand, Andrew? How did we get so, there? So here's the deal is he was another like sort of market businessman. All these people are sort of generic businessmen who are selling fabrics and things for some reason. Selling, and they selling things on credit to like get paid down later. Again, I yeah, do not it's understand. All, it's all sounds like this giant pyramid scheme. I don't even know they had pyramids in China, but whatever. And so... He runs into this woman who is so extraordinarily beautiful and he just has to sleep with her. Yes. And so he gets, do you, did, did you catch why it is that he is giving her like 50 bull durhams every time that they copulate? No, 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 no. There's no reason for it. He's just leaving her every time and they start getting together like every night and every night he leaves her in like a hang- in a handkerchief under the mattress 
50 monies. <laughs> and he does this over and over and over again. And she until, has money, though. Like, she yeah. was, like, left money by her dad who died, who was a prince. Mm-hmm. So why he's so, doing this, no idea. And so he does this over and over and over again until he is ruined, until he literally has spent all of his money. <laughs> and so he gets desperate and tries to steal a purse from like a cop and he gets caught and he gets his hand cut off. And then the cop gives him the bag of money anyway. Cause he's like, you're, you seem like too nice a boy to be a thief. So here's the money anyway, but you still don't have a hand. That's fine. Like in the middle of the street, they did this. And so he doesn't have a hand. He goes back to his lady love who is like, well, you should have, you should have told me that you were ruining yourself for my sake. Because I still have all your money, and I don't even want it that much. And let's just get married, and everything that I have will be yours also. But even after they get married, she's so worried about him that within like two months, she has withered and died like a house plant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, he's just a sad guy with one hand and a lot of and money that he's a lot of money very and generous that, with. And that's his incredibly sad story. And then the Christian. I'd assume waggling his eyebrows says to the king of China, Hey, did you like that one as much as you like the hunchback story? Pally? And the king is like, No, that sucked. No, I hated it. <laughs> and I must hang all four of you for the hunchback's death. Yes. <laughs> this king. If you, I like the idea that this king is like having sweeps week with fatal consequences. Like, you better tell me your best story. Or else not just your show is canceled, your life is canceled. I mean, God, gods do this all the time. Gods have done this a number of times. Fair enough. That's true. In the in these stories so far. But now, yeah, it's a it's a king who and really only one of them did actually kill the hunchback. And so I guess you'd be killing the other ones for like attempted cover up or like accessory after the fact or something. I'm not sure what exactly you would charge them with, but it does seem like the punishment being meted out is the same for all three of them. Uh, yeah, they've all been lumped together. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next person steps forward. The Muslim. <laughs> None of them has to be tried separately, I guess. <laughs> the mu- It's a Rico case. The Muslim steward um, steps forward with the young man from Baghdad and Lady Zubaida's maid. And he's like, check it out, King. Um, I went to go hear the Quran the other night. Uh, a lot of people were there. We were eating some ragu spice with cumin. Uh, and this guy was there, and he wouldn't eat it? He just wouldn't. It was really we weird. Ma- he wouldn't eat it, and then we made him eat it. And he said, okay, I will eat it, but I do have to wash my hands 120 times, 40 times with each of a different like herb or root. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, well, what's going on here? And they're like, all right, we're, we're, let's watch this hand-washing guy eat this ragu spiced with cumin. And he doesn't have any thumbs. And they're like, well, what, what's up with that? And he's like, check it out. I don't have any thumbs, and I don't have any great toes. I've never heard big toe referred to as great toe before, and I, I love it. I do like it. it. I do like it. My great toes. My great toes. He does not have them either, and I don't believe it is ever explained in the story why his great toes are gone. Yeah, I'm not sure why they cut off his toes. Maybe that's a separate incident that we'll hear about later. <laughs> but so what happens is this guy, he's some kind of businessman and he 
gets he there's some fell in love big, with a girl he fell in love with a girl like in the white stripes song and he through some convoluted means learns that she loves him and that she wants to be with him and they make it through that i don't know isn't she royalty or something so okay She's, so this is this yeah. the there is like there are moments in this story where you are expecting it to break bad and it doesn't because for some reason okay so she is the waiting lady to the queen or the wife of the of the caliph and so uh the rule is she wants to marry him but she needs to get the queen's approval and she needs to sneak him into the palace <laughs> and then just have him there for the queen to appraise to approve the marriage. Why? Yes. Not explained. Unna- Not explained. So they do try to bring him in in a chest, and he does get so scared in the chest that he pees he his pants like a little pee pants baby, and the pee comes out of the chest and gets on the ground, and the woman is like, well, now look what you did. You tipped over a bottle of yellow liquid in this chest, and it's going to get all over my clothes, and now you just got to let me through. You got to let me through, or everything's going to be ruined, and they do. So his little pee pants incident doesn't... The jig is not up, even though it maybe should have been at that point. Yes, he he almost gets caught multiple times, um, but then of course they get him in there safely, and Lady Zubaida is like, "Hey, this guy looks cool. This guy looks great. He smells like pee, but I guess he's cool. Like, you can totally marry him. That sounds good." Um, and they get you know they get the witnesses, and they're uh, you know having a he has a bath. Before dinner, uh, or he's supposed to anyway. Uh, no, he doesn't have a bath. The young lady went to go have a bath, and he was going to eat. And of course... Yeah, he's going to eat. So what does he eat? He eats a great platter of ragu cooked with pistachio nuts, uh, yeah. white sugar, rose water, and cumin. Yeah, and so this nasty boy eats this food with his hands. Without washing his hands. and then Without washing his hands. And then he doesn't wash his hands afterward either. So he's got stinky, dirty cumin hands uh-huh. on the night of and his wedding. On the night of his wedding, and so he goes in to get freaky with his new lady, and she smells his stinky, dirty, nasty hands, and she is furious about it. Madman, didn't you eat the ragu spiced with cumin without washing your hands? By God, I will punish you for it. Shall the like of you consummate marriage with one like me with a hand smelling of ragu spiced with cumin? (laughs) And then... (laughs) Has this ever happened to you? (laughs) And she has her girls throw them to the ground. She takes out a braided whip that she just happened to have around, I guess. Yeah. And mm -hmm. starts beating the crap out of him. And then she starts calling for the chief of police to cut off his hand. Uh, Of course, that doesn't happen. He does think to himself, what a great calamity. Did I suffer such a painful beating and will my hand be cut off just because I ate the ragu spice with cumin and forgot to wash my hands? Yeah, it's gross, George Costanza. This is a very George Costanza plot. It is. It is. It's the eating the eclair out of the garbage scene. Kind of. Yeah, but he he didn't wash his hands and then he... I don't know. You just see Jason Alexander in his boxer shorts yelling, oh, I I forgot to wash my hands. Uh, <laughs> I was in the pool. Um, and so they plea to keep her from having his hands cut off. The, the girls intercede on his behalf. 
And so she settles for cutting off his thumbs. Why? And I guess his great toes, maybe. Unclear. His great toes may have been lost in an unrelated incident. <laughs> we do not need to talk about. Um, and so that's why he couldn't eat the ragu. But she did give him a bunch of money. And they went and lived for many years together until she died. <laughs> what? I mean, he brought this on himself, really. He should have He should have washed his hands. He shouldn't have been a nasty, nasty boy. I, I just have a note here that says uh, his toes, though. I don't I'm not, I don't know what happened to his toes and I'm not going to not going to pretend to know. OK, so twice now we have had, uh, you know, a, a traitor meet a, a woman while he's working and then gets into trouble and loses appendages for various reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so next, and the king is like, um, this is not more amazing than the story of the roguish hunchback. He says, <laughs> "You yeah, love no, that this doesn't, this doesn't pass muster either. So the Jewish, the scamp of a hunchback, the Jewish doctor steps forward and he's like, let me tell you the tale of the young man from Mosul and the murdered girl. This one took some turns where the doctor, I guess he was he was caring for someone at the house of the governor, and then he was he started caring for this sick young man, uh, so handsome that I have seen none handsomer. He says, and he also is 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 he missing a hand? What's wrong with this guy? He is he is missing a hand. Right? Okay, yes, I believe he is missing a hand. Um. um. And so, yeah, he was a businessman. He meets a woman, blah, blah, blah. Oh, wait, wait, but he's got his nine uncles. This is the one who goes to, like, Cairo. He buys a big house in Damascus. Remember? I mean, I guess. I don't think any of this is important as the, like, the godfather moment where he wakes up in a bed (laughs) covered in someone else's blood. It's it's important Um, that he's alone in a new city without his dad, without his uncles, and he's sitting outside of his house, and lo and behold, a hot lady walks up, and he's like, come on in. Meets a hot lady and they get together and they have a few good nights. And then the hot lady says, I got an even hotter friend. This was bizarre. Do you mind if I bring her by? And this is this is all an elaborate test because women can't be trusted is the the moral of the story. Yeah, I believe so. I believe this is this is mentioned in so many words, which I will try to find while I'm relaying the events that that happen here. But uh, yeah, I have an even hotter friend. You want me to bring her over? And the guy's like, yeah, sure. Sounds great to me. And so she does bring her hotter friend over and she is indeed hotter. And she's like, hey, dude, do you, I mean, you think this, you think she's hot, even hotter than me? And the guy's like, yeah, I do. Boy-o-yoing. And then she's like, well, you want to spend the night with her? And the guy's like, yeah, if you're offering, sure. And so he does. And then he wakes up and he's all He says he's wet first is what he says. He says he's wet. And I know what you're thinking. No, it's not another pee pants incident. It is that the first woman killed the hotter woman and he woke up like covered in her own blood. Yep. And so he buries her in his floor, changes all of his clothes leaves i am i am afraid that the murdered girl's family will look for her no one is safe from the treachery of women Mm. says this man who got himself into this situation (laughs) 
Jesus. <laughs> then, yeah, then he takes off his clothes. He takes off his clothes first. Then he digs a hole in the middle of the hallway, places uh-huh. her in it, covers it over. Then he puts on new clothes. He well, lo- I mean, you don't want to get your clothes dirty digging a hallway grave for somebody. I suppose. Um, then he goes to the landlord, pays a year's rent, and is like, I'm going to go hang out with my uncles in Cairo. Keep this place ready for me. I'm going to keep paying you. He, sa- he lives in Cairo for several years, I think, on his own. Um, his uncles are like, oh, cool, you're here. And then they are like, it's time to leave. And he just hides. And they're like, I guess he went home. Weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool uncles. And he's been sending money back to Damascus to pay his rent. He does end up going back because he spent all of his money in Cairo, all the money that he had. That's another yeah. theme of these stories. Well, his like uncles squandered. He and his uncle squandered all the money. Yeah. He goes uh, back. began to spend the rest of my money squandering it on feasting and drinking. Yes. Um, he goes back. He goes back to the house in Damascus. And under the bed, he finds this rad necklace that, of course is from the woman that the other woman killed. And he's like, well, I guess I have to sell this necklace so that I can have any money. And I got a little confused as to who was blaming who for what, but a very violent pawn exchange happens where he like, (laughs) what, he tries to sell it to the merchant. The merchant fences it for even more money and then tries to claim that it was stolen and that our... Well, doesn't it turn out to be like fake? Like it's, like not it's brass, worth what not they gold. And yes. So they, yeah, they have to track this the original guy down because they've all been cheated. And so he just blames the the main character of the story. The cops show up. When the broker heard my reply, he realized that there was a problem with the necklace and struck a bargain with the chief merchant, who went to the chief police and told him that the necklace had been stolen from him and that the thief had been apprehended dressed as a merchant. Huh. And so. Then they beat him up because they're like, well, why would you steal his necklace? And he just says, yeah, I, I stole it. Uh, yeah. And then they cut off his hand. They and then they sear it with boiling oil, which feels like, are they sauteing your hand for you? Eee, it never comes up again. Eee, but. Uh, and then what? Then he gets connected with the governor of Damascus who recognized that necklace somehow. Mm-hmm. Um because it got it got back through the pawn shop grapevine, I suppose. Um, and he's like, "All right, I'll go. I'll fine. I'll go to the governor." And the governor's like, "No, nah, don't worry about it. Um, thanks for telling me the truth. This is actually my daughter's necklace. Mm-hmm. Ooh, spooky. See, you slept with my older daughter, who I married off to a jerk, and she learned bad habits there." He said. Which is, I don't know what that means. And she came back and was friendly with her sister. And you started sleeping with her. And then she got jealous when she let her sister sleep with you. And she co- and she said that she was gone and committed a murder. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, I don't know what else happens from there. He, it just goes okay. The governor takes yeah, care of him? Yeah, it's kind of... Um, yeah, uh, moreover, he got me a large indemnity from the chief merchant and continued to hold me in the highest esteem. Uh, when at the beginning of this year, news reached me that my father had died, blah, 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 blah. And that 
explains how this one-handed guy hooked up with the person who's telling the story to the king of China in the first place. Oh, sure, sure, sure. And then the and then he's like, "Hey, I thought the story was pretty cool. Do you think it's isn't it better than that stupid hunchback story?" And that's where we leave off. We don't learn whether the king liked it or not until next time. But mourning over took Shahrazad. Um, I did skip over the what I would consider the closest to a, a, a moral other than women are deceitful of this last story um, because the 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 sister who committed the murder does then take her own life out of grief and the father is so distraught the governor is so distraught he says if you look at what happens to the likes of your of you and me you will agree that quote this life is all vanity and that man is but a transient image which va- vanishes as soon as it appears yeah, bummer. I guess. Bummer. Yeah. I mean, the morals Pale are blue that dot. and wash your hands. Yes, please. <laughs> Those are the two. Don't try to have sex when you have cumin hands. Yeah, when you have stinky cumin hands. She had cumin hands. <laughs> what a what a weird group of stories these are, huh? What's the deal with cumin? Have you heard about this stuff? <laughs> Uh-huh. Mm. <laughs> it's getting a little bit into Jay Leno territory. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a it's a bunch of sort of I don't know that the there are definitely patterns to these stories, and there have been before. But I guess I was a little surprised where when we get to the and this is a structure we've run into a couple of times, like a group of people tell stories to save yes. someone's life. Yes. Um, normally I feel like the genres at least are pretty different. And these all feel like a creative writing class where everybody who's given the same prompts, like come up with a story where a guy's missing a hand. <laughs> yeah. There wasn't even like a supernatural part. There's usually at least one story that has a demon or a witch in it or something. No, like the closest thing we get to a demon is the cumin, I think. Wow. Ooh, supernatural ragu. Mm-hmm. Delicious. It was a ragul. <sighs> yeah, it was a ragul. <laughs> uh, so next time, I don't know. I don't know how much to say. I thought that the hunchback stuff was fun. The Hunchback stuff was very farcical and fun in a... I already referenced Weekend at Bernie's, but that is the best. It's I guess the Weekend at Bernie's bit lasts not very long because people are only trying to convince other people that the Hunchback is alive for long enough that they can... Kill them kill by him. accident? Yeah. Um, but that was one of the few that we've had that had like a succession of characters all engaged in one thing over time that kind of escalated purposefully for humor that at least worked for me um so i was not then expecting a series of behandings um <laughs> but say la vie uh so sometimes you gotta lose your great toe in the service of good storytelling that's true last night i hold a lens land and so i wish that i could stay before the thing could answer me well someone came and took the lamp There comes a time when we need to put away our childish things and grow up a little bit. And this baby is ready for that. 
Put my toys away, Daddy. Yeah, put Daddy, put my toys away. I'm ready to grow up. Sure. So this is our because I've this has been fun, but I've read I think I've read enough of these. So this is our sixth episode of Genie Babies covering the Arabian Nights or the One Thousand and One Nights, uh, translated by Husan Hadawi, based on an edition from Musan Mahdi. Uh, we are going to cover the second half of the story of the Hunchback, story of the Hunchback Part Two. My notes say here. And then we will do like an episode seven closing thoughts and uh, like I almost said juvenilia, but that's not the right word. What's the word for like marginalia? Marginalia. Thank you. Juvenilia is related to the babies, though. So maybe it's appropriate. Maybe in our in our case, it is not the word juvenilia, but it's a portmanteau of marginalia and juvenile. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I meant. It's a homophone, homonym. <laughs> You're a homophone, and <laughs> so look forward to that next time. And then we that's that will be when we unveil if we have not unveiled online already our. Uh, our next long read project, which will be probably a longer endeavor than this one, um, but I think we've spent about as much time as we want to with the these stories. Yeah, um, we can talk about it more in the more in, in the, the closing thoughts. Th- there is a certain sameness, yeah, I think to these, and and you can talk about how this batch you you felt like this batch was a little different. From the last one, you were saying it had like more of a viewpoint or a through line or well, something. We, that, yeah, there's a particular storyteller who has half a dozen tales that he just spits out rapid fire at the end of this one. And they do build and elaborate on a specific form of cosmic justice uh, <laughs> that has certainly been present in the other tales, but is really distilled here. But first, Andrew, we got to do our last time on. Uh, for folks who maybe it's been a little while since they listened, or maybe it's not. Maybe they listened ten seconds ago, but we want to catch them back up. Uh, what was our? What happened last time? What do you remember from the first part of the story of the Hunchback? So the story of the Hunchback begins with a Hunchback. Yeah, and he is a he is drunk and he's having a good time. He is invited over by a tailor yep. and his wife, I think, to their house. And for some reason, the tailor really wants him to eat some fish, and so he jams some fish down his throat, and he choke on the hunchback chokes on a bone, and he dies. Correct. And then what follows is a series of farcical uh, passings of the buck, where people set this hunchback's body up in different places so that it looks like somebody else killed him. Yes. And it escalates like that for a little while. Until somebody's about to be hung for killing the hunchback, and then they all stand up and are like, no, I actually killed the hunchback. No, I actually killed the hunchback. There ends up being like four guys. They end up hauled in front of the king of China, because that's where we are. Yep. Question mark. (laughs) And the king is like, dang, this is a good, that hunchback story, that's a good story. If any of you can tell me a story that's better than it, though, I won't kill you. And so the first three guys go... And they're all weird stories about like falling in love with a lady and like not having enough money and getting stinky food on your hands. They're and all guys who like mo- many of them lose their hands for crimes that they committed in the name of love. Well, there are th- there are people in the stories who lose their hands. Yes, yes. But the people telling the stories to the king of China aren't 
the no. same guys as who are in the stories. Correct. But um, the king is, and, and I think the king is right. The king is like, these aren't that good. The Hunchback story is better. <laughs> and then the tailor is like, well, wait till you hear what I got to put down. Yes. So And so the entire second, th- this entire episode of Genie Babies is dedicated to the tailor's story and all of the sub stories contained within. Correct. So, and we go we go quite a few layers deep on this. We this particular really do. Inception. So we yeah. are on at the beginning of this night one thirty nine of Shahrazad telling stories to her king so that he does not kill her, and that is starts off with the tailor. Who's like, yo, or the king is like, yo, these stories suck. I'm going to kill all of you. But Taylor, it is your turn. <laughs> and the tailor's like, listen, um, I did go. My name's the tailor, and I'm here to say. I, I went to a banquet in a major way. Mm-hmm. And there was a guy there who was very handsome, very handsome man. Um, he did have like a limp. He had a leg that was busted. He has some, he has a disability. I believe the verbiage is something like he was handsome, except he was lame. Yeah, or something. Really not yeah, it was loving pretty... that language. Pretty bad language. Um, as we find out later, the guy his leg was broken at some point in the story. So that's he. That's what it is. Um, and they're like, hey, this is a cool like banquet. Thanks for coming here. And the dude stands up. He's like, I cannot be here. There is a terrible barber in the room, and can't I can't believe you invited this barber. How I dare need you to leave? But and first, allow me to tell you all of the wrongs this barber has visited no. upon me. Well, but they demand it because they're like, "Listen, wow, well, yeah, okay, listen, man, you that's, can't. That's just, rude. You, yeah, you can't just <laughs> yeah. tell us that this guy sucks and then leave us here to eat with him. Like, you need to tell us why he's so bad, and." He's like, all right, I guess I'll tell you. We were in Baghdad. And what did you, Andrew, this confused me a little bit. He starts his story. And he's like, my dad was so rich and I was his only son. And then my dad died and he gave me all his money. And I was a hater of women, he says. Yeah, so I had highlighted that too because um, it, uh, my, dang, my tab reloaded because I'm using the wrong browser for this. But yeah, he, I had highlighted this too because I couldn't decide if, um, if this was a, a Nazi euphemism for something else, or if he, or if it was just like the sort of normal ambient hatred of women that most of the people in these stories seem to have, it happened that God had made me a hater of women, very passive, very, very abdicating of all responsibility about mm. his attitude toward women. And one day as I was walking along one of the streets of Baghdad, a group of women blocked my way and I fled from them into a blind alley. And then he sees a hot lady. And like so many men who hate women, as soon as one is hot and seems interested in him, suddenly he changes his tune. Yes. Now, he is not, this guy, not a wordsmith, I would put forward, because he does describe her as uh, as radiant as the moon and so beautiful that I have never seen one more beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> not a poet, this guy. No, she was so pretty that she was really pretty. <laughs> do you like me or do you really like me? <laughs> yeah. um, he learns that she is the daughter of the city's judge, and he's very concerned 
that he will never get to meet her. So much so that he lapses into what I wrote down is like a eighties or nineties movie like love depression. Like Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love funk. Uh and love a, illness. And an old lady comes up to him and is like, Hey, what's wrong? And he looks sad and she recites a two page poem about how sad he looks. <laughs> that just ends with uh for without her I will an outcast be living love's victim to eternity. Like she really hit the nail on the head. She sang the right song. Song. Not sure mm-hmm. why Shahrazad wasted an evening on that one, though she is fighting for her life here, I suppose. Yeah, I was going to say, there's no such thing as a wasted evening. The whole point <laughs> is to waste evenings. True. There, there's no sweeps week when you're Shahrazad. It's all filler. <laughs> no. um, and then the old lady is like, all right, dude, I will help you out. I can go talk to this lady. She literally says, gird your loins. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got to gird those things. So I hear and she just like she kind of t- I don't I think she tells a lie. She's like he's my son. When he saw you, he was struck by your slender melting waist or whatever. Yeah, like he, he she gets him an in, I guess, with the pretty lady. By basically and- saying he's going to die. Like it's a make a wish story <laughs> at this point. <laughs> Jesus. Like you have to visit this man. He is going to yeah. die. He's going to die. And then she gets there and he's like, I'm going to die of lovesickness <laughs> if I don't get to be with you. Um, but he's going to get a so haircut first before he meets her. Yeah, he's going to. He she is like, maybe you want to clean up a little bit, like wash off the, the remnants of your illness. And he's like, no, I rinse, I washed off with water. I'm fine. But I would like to get my head shaved. That was that sounds great. And so they call up this barber and this barber. Is I mean, he is, and one of the footnotes says, to this day, in some Middle Eastern countries, barbers are also surgeons. They also do, and, and this is a way, this is the way that a lot of cultures were, I think, with yeah. medicine, where medicine was just kind of, like, guessing and making things up and telling people that they had too much blood inside them, and maybe <laughs> if we let some of the blood out, you'll feel better. Yeah. I mean, that's what, like, Sweeney Todd was, and you know, like, he's... A barber in a generalist sense. <laughs> sure. Um, but this guy had he's he is also what, like a like a fortune teller of sorts. Like he's got all he's kinds of wild in philosophy. Yeah. He comes in now that a philosopher would ha- would fall back on barbing. Doesn't that I think that probably still happens. Yeah, well that's certainly true, yes. Mm-hmm. He comes in because the, the the dude, he's not a prince, he's just a handsome rich man. Um, tell me the difference. I don't know. Um, and Ooh. he says he says to his servant, "Get me a sensible and discreet barber who will not give me a headache with his chatter." Which we've all been there. Yeah, we all kind of sometimes we just want the person to. We just want to both sit. We just want to sit. I haven't gotten a haircut in. I haven't. Almost a year. It's same. And I've just been I've been buzzing my own hair and progressively getting slightly better at it each time. Uh, I think the last time I saw a barber was in January or February of 2020. I probably had one of the beard guys trim my beard because we did that live show in February. Oh, yeah, we did, didn't we? I know. Anyway, the anyway. barber doesn't never stops talking. No, he keeps talking, 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 talking. His first thing, though, he's like, all right, listen, guy. I went out and consulted my astrolabe. I looked at the mm-hmm. stars. 
and today is a great day for cutting hair. It's a bad day for meeting new people. I heard you're mm-hmm. going to meet a new person. I can't let you do this. We can't do this. And so, and the the poor put upon guy just keeps trying to get this barber to shave his head. And the barber keeps like shaving a few hairs at a time and then bringing up some new stupid thing. I don't know how specific you want to get on how long this barber just goes on and on and on about everything. Let me just read this one, this kind of opening section where he goes, um, he's getting a sense that his customer is not taking to him. And he says, am I not the one whom, because of my taciturnity, people call the silent one? My eldest brother is the praetor, the second the babbler, the third the gabbler, the fourth the stone mug, the fifth the braggart, the sixth the noisy, while I, because of my taciturnity, the silent one. And... You know, it's a little bit of the lady doth protest too much, methinks. This is a different version of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs <laughs> that I'm that I'm used to. And the guy is like, dang, my dad loved this dude. This dude sucks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the barber's like, I gave your dad and your grandfather all this advice and they loved me. And yet the, you know, the handsome young man has never met this barber before. I don't like the barber was apparently chosen at random off the street. For his that's how it goes barbing skills. When so, he tries to get rid of the barber at one point, he's he tries like, to get rid of the barber, and the barber is like, "You, like, you can't go meet people today." And then the guy is like, "No, I'm not going to go meet anybody. I'm just going to have a party." And then the barber's like, "Well, show me all the food and like drinks and stuff that you have." And the guy is just like, "I will give you everything in this house if you just leave me alone and let me go." <laughs> And eventually he, you know, he sneaks out. He says he's going to go to a party, but the barber follows him and he knows he is going to see the lady. He, yeah, he's going to see the lady. And then while the barber is snooping around outside, he hears the master of the house, the the judge, like beat a servant. You know, because. Yeah, just because. Because why? I mean, do you even have a reason to beat your servants? I don't I don't think that you do. Um, And the barber nosy Nelly that he is assumes that this is the handsome young man being beaten. And so he stirs up the entire town about it. And a crowd of 10,000 people shows up outside the judge's house saying like, Oh no, our murdered one or something. And the, Do you have the exact phrase? Oh yeah. Hold on. Um, yeah. The entire household shows up and they go, alas for our master. And then they are they are chant. He says, "Oh Lord, there are more than ten thousand people outside. Uh, oh people, what is the matter?" Uh, they say, "Oh cursed man, oh pig, you have killed our master." Um, and yes, they are chanting for their murdered one. God. Uh, and so the and the judge is like, "Well, I mean, if this if what you're telling me is true, I just I guess go in and get him." And so the barber goes in. <laughs> And this guy is so desperate to get away from this barber that he jumps into a chest and hides. And while he's doing this, he like breaks his leg. Well, he comes uh, out because he's like, I know the guy's going to find me. I'll just get out. And he falls and breaks his leg. He falls and breaks his leg. And he's trying to run away from this barber. And what, what, how does he, he just like ends up giving away yes. all his earthly possessions and exiling himself he f- because there's no other way to get away from this barber? <laughs> he falls out of the chest. And he's like, ow, my leg is broken. And he goes, but I do have this bag of money I keep in my sleeve for 
bad occasions and I throw it to the crowd so that I can get away and I get home and the barber's there and I realize the only thing to do is literally dissolve my estate and appoint a guardian <laughs> to my family and I will leave Baghdad behind <laughs> And he's like, and now I'm here, and the barber is here too. I can't. This is awful. Yeah. Like, I can't believe I went through all this, and now I got to sit with this barber. And like, are you are you kidding me with this? It's pretty wonderful. I do like that story a lot. Actually, I was I laughing like that story a lot because you get you experience how annoying the barber is. He's one of the most and memorable characters of this entire series to me because, personally. Cause he's so annoying. And then the second half of the stuff that we read today kind of starts to fall down for me a little bit because they're like, well, barber, do you have anything to say for yourself? Yes. And the barber is like, well, no, I don't have anything to say for myself because I am the silent one. I'm so taciturn. But allow me to tell you the incredible <laughs> true stories of all six of my other brothers. All of whom are worse than me. Don't you understand? <laughs> Which I don't think any of them are worse than him, except maybe one. There's one brother that I think might be like a tiny bit on the yeah, same level. So I'm, I'm going to front with you i don't remember the specific stories of of many of the brothers they all kind of melted together for me a little bit sure i, I have... will be able to chat with you as i remember things as you remind me of them. <laughs> that's reasonable that's reasonable yeah i i thought that might happen to me too so i did go back and like try to do bullet points for each one. Oh, good i'm glad that you did that because i didn't do that so the, the people at this dinner are like barber what's your deal and he's like listen i was living in baghdad it was a rough time. Um, I f somehow fell in with some thieves because I thought they were having a party. And then the this barber <laughs> loves to party. He loves to party. And the chief of police picked them all up and had the executioner kill the 10 thieves. And then He's they going to. Yeah. Going to kill 10 people. And then they get to the end of the chopping block and there's still a guy with a his barber. neck. And, <laughs> and they do this thing where the king's like, I told you to kill 10 people. And the barber's like, well, count them. Count the heads. <laughs> like, you already killed 10 people. It's awful. The death penalty is so bad. <laughs> like, there's a certain part of me that, like, the historical remove of these stories does allow me to laugh. And the absurdity of some of them. But also, uh, this world sucks. Yeah, This world is really rough. rough. And if there's, an, if there's an overarching thing to the barber's stories... It is taking the, like, brutalism of the world in general and, like, the inherent violence of, like, class and gender in these stories and mm -hmm. just saying, you know what? No one ever gets their just desserts. Every, all, the, all the poor, down-on-their-luck people just get punished and nothing ever happens to the people who punish them. Like, that's what all of the barbarous stories are about. Yeah, right. Whereas usually we get some sort of at least like mixed happy ending for our characters. Yeah. At least like somebody ends up living happily ever after, even if they did have to go through a bunch of dumb stuff or like their sisters got turned into dogs, but they're still having a good time. Correct. Or yes. they accidentally killed a demon's son with their, their, uh, the pits from their dates, uh -huh. but they were able to tell a cool story to the demon. So we let everybody go. <laughs> This does none of these stories go that way. 
Um, and these brothers, now, and it was it was interesting to me. Like I, as I was reading it, I was like, okay, this is the the king is gonna dig this more than the hunchback story. That's true. You because could tell. this is way like this is way more varied and less boring than the stories that the other uh, alleged hunchback murderers told. <laughs> yes. So these are these stories which are being relayed to the king of China by the tailor were told by the barber to that tailor about the time he told them to the caliph of Baghdad. So we're, you know, 15 layers deep in this story cake here. But uh, it is related, oh, happy king, that the tailor told the king of China that the barber told the guests that he said to the caliph. Thank you. Thank you. For- <laughs> and a lot of the times you get that intro and then somebody else is already like telling a story to somebody else. <laughs> um, so he has six brothers um, each of whom is afflicted with a bodily defect. Um, one is one has one eye, another is paraplegic, but I don't actually know in the story where that is. We'll get to that. There's a hunchback tailor, there's a blind brother. Finally, we've got a hunchback again. <laughs> yep. There's a there's a brother who has his ears chopped off, and there's a there's brother one with his like lips chopped his off. Lips chopped off. Um, yeah. and so he go, he tells very long stories about each of his brothers to prove how taciturn and silent he is. <laughs> <laughs> and his first brother was a hunchback who was like, he was a tailor. He made clothes, you know, real schmool song kind of guy just making stuff. And, um, what was that thing you said? Don't worry about it. It's a reference to a musical that you may or may not recognize. Oh yeah. No, it's cool. Okay. I don't need to worry about yeah. it. All right. Um, it was for anybody who got it and we pointed it out and now it's bad. Um, and <laughs> these rich people are like, sick, you're good at making shirts. Can you like make way more shirts for me? And then like come over, make shirts for my husband and then come over. And my husband will pay you. And whenever the hunchback comes over to the couple's house to get his money, the woman, the wife stands behind the husband and like winks at the hunchback. It's like, really don't like take the money right now. Like we'll pay you later. It's fine. Yeah, there's there's some implied uh, sexual promises. Yes, there that, are in that wink. She, I think too. Uh huh. She's flirting with him, and uh, lo and behold, they had planned this whole ruse to get a bunch of free clothes from the hunchback. Mm-hmm. Um, so then they trick him into marrying. Now, do not try this in Old Navy. I have tried it. <laughs> it does not work. They trick him into marrying they will their escort maid you out of the out of the strip mall. <laughs> Um, they, they tell him to go into the mill where he's going to consummate his marriage with their maid. And of course the miller just treats him like a donkey and like hooks him up to the mill and just yeah, beats the he crap like pretends out of him. that he can't see him and then makes him like, yeah, makes him grind all the grain in the mill. Yes. And then at the end there, they do like a little trick where the... They get like the lady to kiss him or something, and then before that can happen, the man comes out from behind a hidden wall or something and is like, "Call the cops! He tried to kiss my wife," and they put him on a camel and parade him through the street and beat him up, and then that's and it. He sort of run out of town on a rail. Yes, yeah. and then and then our the silent one, the barber, is like, "Yo," and I took care of my brother. That's one. The second one, um, Buck. Buc- Bakbaka, the paraplegic. Again, I don't know where in this story this man is dealing with any sort of limited mobility. I don't know if it yeah, happens I mean, it at may the be, end. It may be something about the this getting lost in translation. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. Um, 
He does suffer a fall at the end, so maybe that's where that is caused. I couldn't find it in any other like recaps of the story, and when I tried sure. to do a little more digging, I just came up with other translations, which was not helpful. Maybe paraplegic just meant something different. It meant that you didn't have your clothes or your beard, and your eyebrows looked weird. So this is the thing. I think that I, and it, you had a boner out in public. The, Those are the four things. This is why the story is confusing to me because this man is uh, coerced into a relationship, quote-unquote, with a young woman uh, who, quote... Classic stuff, yeah. Um, the young lady to whom you are going likes to have her way and hates to be contradicted. If you follow her wishes, she will be yours. And the brother's like, sounds good, sign me up, this is great. <laughs> and she basically, like, humiliates him and beats him up, has her servants beat him up, and then has her servants like shave all his hair, like you said, and dye his eyebrows and kind of just take advantage of any amount of trust that he might have for a stranger, um, which does like if he does have a disability, like there's a there's a part of the story there that is like really troubling and awful. If he ends up with it at the end after she makes him run after him naked with a boner. And he falls through a roof in the market, and a bunch of guys are like, where's this naked guy come from? Let's beat him up. <laughs> like, maybe that's how he got injured? Mm -hmm. Unclear. Because yeah, that's it. Not, yeah. He falls in the market, they beat him up, and then the bar the barber's like, well, and then I had to go in and save my brother and take care of him. Cool story. Number mm -hmm. three, blind brother. Blind brother. Now, this brother is already blind at the start of the story. He has a couple other uh, beggars who are blind, uh, who he goes around town and uh, begs with from people. And they go to one guy's house. This guy is a homeowner who takes advantage of them. He tricks them a little bit at the beginning. I don't really remember how that goes down. But then he decides to infiltrate their little home. And pretend to be blind. He hides out in their house like a real creeper. It's like a horror movie. And then they realize he's there. They start beating him up. And when the cops arrive, he pretends to be blind also. And then convinces the cops that all of them are pretending to be blind as part of some sort of scam. End of story. Like, they all get okay. beaten. And then the brother, <laughs> like, they're all faking and the brother gets exiled. And it's bad. Uh, the fifth one or the fourth one, the butcher. Do you remember this one, Andrew? It's about eating people. Yeah, it's like a a guy. Okay, so a, a guy is a butcher, and he's and he's killing rams or sheep or whatever for yeah. meat, and he's selling the meat. There's an old guy who comes in every day, and he pays with these really shiny coins. And the guy, for reasons that are not really <laughs> made evident, yeah. except that they except that they need to happen for the story to do anything. Sure, he's like, man, these coins are really shiny. I'm gonna set them aside, like in a separate chest from all my other coins, just just because, yep. just because it seemed because these are really nice looking coins. And so one day, after I think like maybe a year has passed, or like some ridiculous amount of time has passed, he goes to the chest, he opens it up. And he finds that all the shiny coins are actually paper. And it's like, were they always paper? Were they changed out for paper? It's not made clear. But he has been hoodwinked by this old man. And the next time the old man comes into the butcher shop, he's like, listen, dude, I know what you did. You cheated me. 
and the old man is like, oh no, help me. This man is trying to give me human meat to eat from his butcher shop. He's trying to sell everyone human meat. Mm-hmm. Well, the sheep that he hung on the hook isn't a sheep anymore. It's a human. <laughs> now that, I don't know how that happened either. I think this man might be doing illusion magic, and the story is being really cheeky about not telling us that this man is casting illusions. I think, see, there could be illusion magic. It could be like in the story with the first brother where it's like a person is like dressed up as a sheep. And then when the guy slaughters the sheep for that <laughs> oh, day, no. it's it's actually a guy. Ugh. It could be that. There's precedent for many of these things in this story. Well, apparently the punishment for selling people meat is to have your eye plucked out. Mm-hmm. Um. That makes sense. Yep. An eye for a guy. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and then, so they, they send him away with his one eye. He ends up in another town, and a, the king of that town sees him and is like... Well, he's he, he's good at making shoes. He sets up yeah. a new life as a shoemaker. Yes. And uh, the new king sees him and is like, oh, no, I hate seeing people with one eyes. I hate it absolutely. Make him go away. Which is just like, dang, that sucks. These people, yeah, that's, the, that's that that's ice cold. Every every powerful person in all of these stories sucks, and all of the powerful people in the barber stories in particular suck very hard. <laughs> and the and then I was like, when I was talking about my notes, I thought that was the end. No, he ends up like in another city where he tries to like he gets set up for another amount of thieving. And he tries to tell his story and they beat him up and they tell the cops and they're like, listen, you wouldn't you believe that this guy who looks like he's been beaten for stealing stuff is a thief, mm-hmm. which is a real like once you're in the system, there's no getting out sort of thing. Yeah, right. Like, oh, look, this guy's been beaten up before. He probably there's probably all kinds of other stuff wrong with that. Yes. And of course, the barber has to go in and save his brother there. Um, okay, brother number five is the one I think, he doesn't deserve everything he gets, but he does start with, like, this bizarre American dream hubris story, where he starts off, he gets a bag of glass. <laughs> oh, yeah, and then he just sits there, and he does capitalism in his head for, like, he many, does. many pages. <laughs> Where he not only is like, okay, I'm going to trade this glass for this, I'm going to trade it for this, and then for this and this, and he I'm going to have a million. the red paperclip with his back glass. And then, and then I'm going to have a million billion dollars, and then I'm going to like have a bunch of servants, and then I'm going to get married, and then here's all the really weird specific things that I'm going to make all my servants do before I'll even look at my wife, and it's going to be so cool and great. There's a thing, can, and it's all going to start with this bag of glass. Before we get to the end of what happens with the bag of glass, I think yeah, there if there's is... any like texture in there that you want to highlight, because it is wild the amount that he thinks about this. Yeah, he spends pages... My bride will stand before me like the full moon in her robes and ornaments, and I, out of a sense of self-respect, dignity, and pride, will not look at her until all those who are present will say to me, Oh, our Lord and Master, your wife and slave stands before you. Be kind to her and grant her a glance, for standing hurts her. He goes on to say, like, he will not look at her. It will take him multiple times before he deans to look at her. Danes? Deans? Danes. Danes to look at her. Deans. I don't know. And 
And just to me, there's something in the like, I will be so rich and powerful that I can, I will have the luxury of refusing things is like a very particular version of getting yours or what, like moving on up. There's, there's a Simpsons gag yeah, that it's, it, it's a little, it's slightly more obscure. It's that one where, uh, there is that, um, that vagrant, like homeless guy who, has actually invented Itchy and Scratchy. Oh, okay. And yeah, and Bart helps him win in court, but then there's like no more Itchy and Scratchy <laughs> after that. <laughs> but the hobo guy gets all the money that he wants, and then he's talking to Bart and Lisa about all the like all the simple things that he has wanted, a list that includes his rocket car and his solid gold house. <laughs> And that's what this guy with his bag of glass made me think Yes, of. and it is... Like, as long as I have my rocket car and my solid gold house, that's all I need to be happy. And, like, I don't want to besmirch people for, for dreaming big. It does tell a story of, like, listen, you got to put in the work to turn this glass into a house first before you can be mean to people in that house. Yeah, there's a reason why the the glass house thing is an establishment. Hey! And his his story that he's been—it's been corrupted over time to mean something about hypocrites. Hypocrites, but he gets—it was originally about money. He gets to the end of his story that he's been telling himself for ten years. I don't know, and he's like, "Listen, my wife is going to try to give me a drink, and she's going to be like, you have to drink.'" And I'm like, "I don't want to," and I'm going to kick her with my foot because I'm a big man. And in acting out the story for no one, he kicks his bag of glass and it all breaks. <laughs> Which is pretty dope. And I kind of thought that the story maybe should have ended there, but no, a woman riding by on a she mule, which is a word I just learned, um, gives him 500 dinars and is like, just hang out. I feel pity for you. Have some money. And an old lady shows up and is like, hey, come pray with me. Uh, thanks for the like little bits of money that you gave me because I was nice to you and showed you where to pray. Uh, do you want to come meet a hot young lady that I know? And he's like, sounds great. And she brings him into the house with a hot young lady, and they take him into a room. And, oh, wait, a big slave comes in to kill him. And be- Oh, no. And, like, beats the crap out of him and hits him in the head with his sword. Um, I'm never... It struck him with the flat of his sword. Okay, sometimes these stories say, like, hit him with a sword, and they do mean slashing, but, they like, do my mean, D&D like, brain... Slicing. There's one, yeah, so go through this guy's, like, tale of revenge that he goes through, because he does chop a bunch of people It gets up. real Kill Bill in here for a second. Yeah. They like cut him does, up. He cuts somebody into four pieces. They cut him and up. And it's not any more specific than that, so you're just left to imagine exactly how this is going down. They cut him up and dump him in the dead body room after, like, pouring salt on all of his wounds. So he doesn't actually die. He sneaks out. He gets out of there. He disguises himself as a Persian so that no one would recognize him, and he hides a sword under his clothes. He goes up to the old lady again. He's like, listen, I hear, you know, that your house is dope, and there's a hot lady there. Let me in. And she's like, sounds good. She brings him in there. And... Uh, the the guy comes to kill him again in that in whatever you know world one two or whatever that he goes into, <laughs> and uh, he sprang from he sprang behind and drawing the sword that was hidden under his clothes struck him and made his head fly away from his body which is pretty oh wow okay the DM mm-hmm. is good on this one 
and then he finds he's looking for the cellar woman and he can't find her he finds a different woman and he says uh he says i am the one oh he said, I'm the one in whose house you prayed and whom you lured here. She said, spare me. But he paid no attention to her and struck her with the sword, cutting her in four. And then he moves on, pro- presumably discoded disco- in blood, I would imagine, at this presumably, point. Presumably. I mean, it does. the book often doesn't get into the nitty-gritty on who's covered in what. Yes. And he finds the young lady, who was the attractive lady that lured him in here, and she's like, listen, I was doing this under duress. Why don't you and I team up? We'll steal all of the old lady's money. Um, that would be dope. And he's like, that sounds great. And, of course, she runs away with a bunch of money and leaves him in the lurch. Um, he takes what money he did get. And when he wakes up in the next morning, feeling like maybe he's going to get back to his normal life, the police are there. And they're like, hey, um, you stole a bunch of money from an old lady. We don't care that she tried to kill you. Um, you need to give all your money back to her, uh, which sucks. And you need to leave the city or be put to death. And he does that, and the barber takes care of him again. <laughs> um, and the last one is the cropped lips brother, which... So this is the one where it is like the movie Hook. It is. They have a, and... hook, they have a hook dinner. <laughs> Tell me about they the hook dinner. Hook, they have a hook dinner... Man, how how does the setup of the hook dinner go? I just had the hook reference right. Um, my sixth brother, the cropped of lips, was first rich but later became poor. So he again is walking around looking for someone to help him out. This again, these stories. When we were doing uh, the Odyssey, we mm-hmm. talked a lot about um, keep your head on a swivel. You never know when the Who's town, be a god. the town yeah. beggar, might be a god. You got to treat. The migrant, you got to treat the poor person with respect because they might, you know, it is useful to do that. And also God's poses them all the time. It could kill you. Yeah. yeah. Um, in these stories, no, there's just beggars and you could just like beat the crap out of them is the moral of the barber's stories. Yeah, because who cares? They're just they're just poor people. Yeah. Just punish them for being poor. It's much more. Yeah. yeah. Much, much more American attitude towards. <sighs> And, and taken in taken in aggregate, I think they are certainly they do express uh, a, a very terrible worldview about poverty that you, as the reader, I guess centuries hence can can take or leave. <laughs> I don't know what the original authors may or may not have intended here. Sure. Um, but this guy, uh, this brother, winds up at a rich guy's house, and he's like, "Hey, let me in," and they're like, "Come on in." And our master wants to feed you. And then, yes, Andrew, it's like a hook dinner. Yeah, and the guy and the guy is so hungry. He's like, man, I can't wait. I'm going to sink my teeth into all this good, good food. And the guy keeps describing increasingly elaborate dishes, uh, marinated chickens and, and the like, you know, all the best stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but there keeps being nothing. And the guy keeps having to pretend that he's eating, like literally, moving like his mouth, like he's chewing, for... and yeah. Uh, and it, it, he is like not sure what to do about it. Um, though it does like come to a head where he's like drinking fake wine and pretending to be drunk because he just wants to be done. He's like, "Yeah, I'm full. Yeah, I've had enough. Could you please let me go? Please <laughs> let me go." Uh, and his, you know, he uh, props to this brother because he really goes for it. He just slaps the guy. 
He just mm-hmm. raises his hand up and just hits eventually, the yes, dude. He, he's he's had enough. And he says, listen, and the guy's like, why did you hit me? And he's like, well, you admitted me into your house, fed me, and then got me super drunk. You are responsible for this, and you should pardon what has happened. And the guy's like, hey, <laughs> well played. You, <laughs> I've been doing this for years, and you're the first person that really gets me. Let's be pals. <laughs> Let's be good pals. And, the, and like they're pals for a long time. They have a real meal. Um, they moved to the drinking chamber where, quote, they found young ladies like moons. Sure. Yeah, love them. They're like moons. They're like moons. <laughs> what? Um, okay. And then the next morning they hung out and partied for like 10 days. Um, and the guy managed his estate for 20 years. And then the man died and the, the king took all of his property. It was very sad. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the brother is destitute. He's wandering around. I think he gets like kidnapped by Bedouins who cut off his lips. And then one guy is like, oh, I'm so worried about people coming after my wife. And he cuts off his penis. Mm. Like you do. Mm. Yeah. And then they take his clothes and uh, leave him be. And that's how the, the barber found him. And the barber is like, listen. Uh, I told all these stories to the caliph, and he was like, cool, but you do still need to leave Baghdad. (laughs) (laughs) Especially after what you did to that guy uh, with the leg. Um, And now I'm here. And the the king of China is like, this story slaps. This story (laughs) is the best. The king of China is really into this one. Um, This story is better and more entertaining than the story of the hunchback. I do need to meet this barber. We do need to bury the hunchback. And this twist. Yeah, because he's like the the hunchback has been dead since like last night. He is very specific about the hunchback being. And there was another there was another thing that I uh, that I clocked amidst the. Yeah, it, it is in the middle of the tale of the third of the six brothers yeah. where you do get finally in the little, you know, bits and italics between the nights a bit. You hear from King Shariar again for the first time oh, in a sure. long time. And he says, by God, I will not kill her until I hear the rest of the story of the insufferable barber and his brothers and find out what happened between the king of China and the Jewish physician and the Christian broker and the steward. Then I will kill her as I did the others. And, <laughs> and then there's another bit um where you hear from him on the 169th night nice where he says finish the story of the roguish hunchback Ooh. and my note is like it's been two months since there was a hunchback in this story <laughs> how would you even remember that it was a story oh about my a hunchback god at this point? yes <laughs> holy crap <laughs> there's so much and these stories are like aren't that long. No, 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 no. It, it takes way less time to read than it does, like in real time, to talk about. Though I want, I mean, at this point, I wonder if there's fanfic about what uh, Shahrazada is doing, like during the day when all this, like, is she just living her life? Is she like frantically mm. storyboarding the next the next couple <laughs> of nights? Like, what's her deal? She's like crowdsourcing stories to plug in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so the king is like, listen, you got to bring me this hunchback or we got to bury the hunchback, the barber, you got to meet the barber. The barber comes in 
This was now, a twist we, I was not prepared for. Yeah, like, do we know where this barber has been, like, extradited from? Like, he, so, it, yeah, he was thrown into prison at the end of the stories about his brothers because he's such a loud mouth and liar. And, and that, like, but right, that this happened guy literally yesterday, though. Oh, did it happen yesterday? Because that was, okay. he was, the, the barber was at the meal with, with the tailor. Oh, yes, 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 and, you're right. Okay, okay, okay. And the tailor left that party and his wife was like, listen, you were out all we night. We got to go out. We got to go out and kill a hunchbacker. We're getting a divorce. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was, it's such a, like, a nine, 90s comedy, like, stand-up. You got to take me out. And like, it was yeah, like. Yeah, women, women be like this. It was a very women be like this moment. And, and he's like, yes, and that's how I killed the hunchback. Um, and so they bring the barber out. And the barber's like, oh king of china like why are all these people here and why is there a dead hunchback in the room <laughs> like what is happening mm-hmm. and he's like what does he say he says by your bounty there is still life in this hunchback i wrote what in all capital letters on the side of the page here the hunchback's not dead hunchback is not dead uh, then this is the barber. Then he untied a leather bag from his belt and opening it, took out a jar of ointment and applied it liberally to the hunchback's neck. Gross. Mm-hmm. Then he took an iron stick and inserting it into the hunchback's mouth, pried open his jaws. Gross. Then he took out a pair of tweezers, thrust them down into the hunchback's throat and drew out the piece of fish with the bone soaked in blood. Gross. Suddenly the hunchback sneezed and stood up, rubbing his face with his hand. He's alive. Yeah, Hunchback's fine. Hunchback's fine. Don't worry about it. And they all have a big party about it. And um, they, the king is like, well, you got to write this story down because it's so good. And he bestowed on the barber a robe of honor, assigned him a regular allowance, and made him his companion. And here's the money quote. They continued to enjoy each other's company until they were overtaken by death, the destroyer of delights. <laughs> yeah i mean that's how we're gonna go out right you and me yeah we're gonna do this podcast until we're overtaken by death the destroyer of delights <laughs> i did see some commentary on that last section though that is like uh the barber told this really rad story and the king of china was like listen i gotta hang out with this guy forever and kill no one which is a little bit of shahrazad being like hey you know, if someone tells you a really cool story, like you yeah, don't you just gotta, have you just to kill gotta them. Chill with them, yeah. Like they they seem you should you should keep them around. They seem like they're worth their weight in gold. You could make a choice to just be with them forever, and like just let death show up when death's ready. Yeah, on their own times to destroy mm-hmm. our delights. Yeah, our delights. <laughs> So these stories were kind of woo. <laughs> Again, I I do I think that there is something. I'm glad the hunchback was okay. Yeah, the hunch. I'm very. I, that was a real surprise. I was like really taken by the fact that the hunchback lived. Well, because but I mean he so he did have the fish jammed down his gullet, but like by the end he'd also been shoved down the stairs and like thrown off of somebody's roof and like beaten up in the street. There was a lot of other stuff that happened in that hunchback. But he made it. He made it. He did make it. Um, Medicine just not not that good no. back then. Yes, it was. A- there was no. There's really no way to tell if somebody was dead. <laughs> oh my god. Um. Yeah, and I I think that the barber stories taken as a whole 
do like really hammer home a version. Whereas a lot of the stories which we talked about, and certainly the several stories about men who lost their hands after they fell in love with a beautiful woman, um, certainly are taken in aggregate have like a men have anxieties about women having power. Um, yeah, and vibe. isn't that isn't being anxious worse than anything that we could do to any woman? Correct. Um, and the barber stories are like, huh, aren't there a lot of rich and powerful people that take advantage of the poor and don't get punished for it? Cool. Um, I think that would I think it would be more functional as commentary. If the moral of the story wasn't always like, man, it's so rad that we did all those bad things to people. Yeah, yes. If, if within the context of the other Arabian Nights, I don't think it like succeeds at making that argument. Um, I just find it striking that the resolution or happy ending thing happens all the way up at the King of China level and not anywhere near the 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 narrative level where the barber is actually telling these stories because he does say like he he had to leave and then he came home and all of his brothers were dead like the barber's story sucks like his life stinks and <laughs> he is a garrulous dude who like bullied another guy into getting his life ruined like i don't know that i love the barber if i were to meet him even though i did enjoy yeah, him as no, a character the barber, the barber does suck like he's interesting to read about but i would not want to hang i would not want to get a drink with the barber i think the barber stands up there he's for too me. much he is way too much he stands up there with me alongside the guy uh who fished the demon out of the lamp in the lake and then like met that like handsome stone prince and like went on all those adventures. Yeah, but that guy is at least like smart and Oh yes. I'm not chill. Yeah, I'm not making a moral judgment. I'm just saying like those are the two characters that those really are, okay, stand those are the out two to characters me. Remember. Okay, as cool, like yes. I spent a bunch of time with them and I could describe them to someone later <laughs> as a human. Um so that's those are the stories that we are going to cover from this edition. Um, next episode, we will talk about some of the stories we did not read for this uh, run of episodes, as well as some of the stories that Hadaway um, decided, or like I guess that are not in the Mahdi manuscript, and so Hadaway did not mm -hmm. include them in this edition of the text. Um, so we might get to get to some characters that we expected to meet but did not, perhaps. Sure, yes. Um, if you have any thoughts on those characters or if you have any thoughts on barbers, you can send us an email at overduepod at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter and Facebook at overduepod. That's how we hear from you because podcasting is mostly a one-way street. Andrew, mm -hmm. if folks want to know more about our show, where should they go? They should go to OverduePodcast.com. Up there is where we have links to Apple Podcasts, Google, our RSS feed. We're also on Stitcher, Spotify, and anywhere where you find fine podcasts. We have links on our website to the books that we have read and the ones that we are going to read. You can, uh, If you want to read along with us, click those links and you can buy the books from bookshop.org, which is a website that links you up with your local independent bookseller, helps you support local businesses and support our I don't know. We might be a local business to you. I don't know where you live. <laughs> but, um, 
And then patreon.com slash overdrewpod. If you are hearing this early, you're already a patron. If you're hearing this on the main feed, you can get this stuff early. Because why wouldn't you want to hear about the barber and all his misadventures before everybody else? It's true. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's what we got. That's what we got. Next time, as I said, we'll talk about some uh, some miscellany, some marginalia, and other words that are appropriate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and until next time, Andrew, what do we say at the end of every episode of Genie Babies? Uh, we died because death overtook us. I don't know what we say. What do we say? Something about deathly delights? Yeah, deathly delights. Garden of deathly (laughs) delights. Close your eyes, girl. Look inside, girl. Let the sound take you away.